Hello everybody, welcome to a new episode of The Dissenter. I'm your host, Ricardo Lopes, and today I'm here with Dr. Laura Cabrera. She is Assistant Professor in the Center for Ethics and Humanities in the Life Sciences and the Department of Translational Science and Molecular Medicine at Michigan State University. Dr. Cabrera's interests focus on the ethical and societal implications of neurotechnology and neuroscientific advances. Her current work focuses on the ethical and social implications of environmental changes for brain and mental health. She is also the author of the book Rethinking Human Enhancement, Social Enhancement and Emergent Technology. So, Dr. Cabrera, thank you a lot for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you. Thank you for the kind invitation. Okay, great. So, uh, let me first ask you, because today our conversation will focus mostly on enhancement, particularly human enhancement. So, I mean, what do we really mean by enhancement here uh, from mostly a philosophical perspective let's say because i guess that whenever people use the word the word in this case and we're going to talk about different paradigms uh, of enhancement they don't always mean the same thing right correct uh, so that's one of the biggest um, problems uh, currently when in the discourse of human enhancement because people have different meanings and so someone could be referring to you know very radical type of enhancements versus someone that could be just referring to an incremental change in someone's well-being so that makes the definition of enhancement something that is not universal so even if i were to give you right now um, a definition that is still it would be just one among the many that are out there uh, that people hold. But in general terms, uh, we refer to human enhancement or to enhancement to anything that um, is, as in the case of the human, would be you know, a, a feature, a function that is augmented or improved um, uh, compared to you know, the previous state. And, so, and that's so, what makes so are we talking mostly about improving or augmenting a capacity that human beings in this case already have uh, and not really about perhaps uh, trying to develop new capacities or both? So in the initial definition, I guess it wasn't clear that the proponents were referring to new features, but in the current uh, discourse of human enhancement, that's uh, one, of the, one of the main things that are proposed. And so when, maybe in, the, in a few minutes, when we discuss the three paradigms, I try to really delineate some key differences of how people use um, human enhancement. And one of those is that for people like the transhumanist, which is a group that is, you know, that really supports the usage of technology to, to enhance human beings, they, they really have in mind the kind of enhancement that would require you to have new capacities, new features that no human before has, has had. Mm -hmm. So they're talking really about going beyond our human condition, whatever that means, right? Because if we go beyond our human condition, then 
uh, <laughs> we get we get then into a very difficult conversation about what it is to be human and what it is yeah. to be beyond human, right? Yeah, that's a, a fascinating philosophical conversation. Um, but but yeah, so and and as I said, the transhumanists is actually a group of of people that will propose, yeah, let's use technology to reach this post-human kind of level. So that's beyond the human. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. The, then the conversation goes into, well, what does it mean to be more than a human? What does it mean to be human to start? Um, and that's actually, I think, one of the chapters in the book. I talk a little bit about that. Because, yeah, it's a, from a philosophical point of view, it's just fascinating to, to see how what, how what we define as human has been evolving. And I think we just still don't have a universal answer to that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for the transhumanists, at least, it seems to me that they approach human enhancement uh, from an essentialist perspective. I mean, they deal with humans as if we had some sort of essence and we would need to go beyond that, whatever it is, right? Well, it's m- more... I guess from you know my reading of the transhuman is they they would say that the humans are uh, species kind of in in transition that we're still not complete, and so that the reason why we need enhancement is to be able to reach to to that state that we're supposed to get as part of being human. So for them, the 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 becoming posthuman is just part of the path of being human. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, so basically uh, we are not at the final stage of development and we should, through artificial means, try try to arrive there sooner. Is that it? That's how I read the transhumanists. So they would say, yeah, we need uh, humans, our beings that are, you know, have uh, many uh, things that are... uh, burdensome that you know like we get sick we age um, let's use technology to get rid of all these things that you know mm-hmm. that that kind of hamper our con- human condition so i mean uh, the, the transhumanist paradigm is really fascinating because it also connects a little bit with certain things some of them that perhaps we could call pseudoscience or at least they talk about them conceptually at a conceptual level but we're we're really not sure that we will ever be able to develop them like for example a mind upload and they also talk about things like the singularity but they have different approaches and different definitions for it so i mean we're also here talking a little bit or at least to a certain extent about uh, technologies that don't really yet exist some of them are emergent technologies others are only conceptual so right yeah, uh, so I guess a lot of people have issues with the transhumanists because yeah, they they are proposing technologies that are still not quite here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so even for example, uh, some people when they talk about aging, for them aging is kind of like it's a disease. We should get rid of it, and then we're gonna become immortals. Mm-hmm. But we still don't have the technology that will expand the human life lifespan to the degree that they see. 
Um, similarly, it, what you were discussing about mind uploading, I mean, it sounds as something that the transhumanists um, you know, keep talking about, and yet uh, neuroscience hasn't really given us a, a way in which we could either you know, copy someone's kind of mental world and then be able to transfer that to a different substrate. Uh, and so, yeah, these are technologies that are still in the realm of science fiction in, in some way. Even though if you go to their conference, they're probably going to tell you, no, they are, you know, this is the next thing that we, is going to happen very soon. So. Right, right. right. And, and I mean, when we talk about these things, uh, at least most people are also very influenced by how things are represented in science fiction, for example. And we have to be very careful about that because, as I said earlier, some of these things might never happen. Uh, and also they might even influence how people deal with technology that already exists, technology that is being developed at the moment and even uh, perhaps future technology that is only at a conceptual level now, right? So we also have to take into account how people think about these things on the one hand also because, um, I mean, technology by itself isn't really good or bad. We have to really be uh, afraid of how people might use the technology that they develop, right? Yeah, correct. I mean, what you were saying about, you know, how science fiction influences all of these discourses. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the nice things about science fiction is that actually science fiction of the past I mean, some some of it has become the, the science fact, right? Like we yeah. have reached to that point where many things that science fiction talk about now, now we've seen them in in, in today's uh, time, but there are things that we still haven't really gotten there. And I think it's important to pay attention because, yeah, we as a society have a responsibility of how we want to shape our future. And if we're not careful, we might end up with a future that ends up being really dystopic and. and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and I mean, there's a thing here that perhaps is more or less common for the biomedical paradigm and also the transhumanist paradigm that has to do with what we consider uh, normal in human beings and what we consider diseased or defective or something like that, because it's really difficult for us, at least as far as I understand it, to determine uh, what are the things that we really should change and to what extent, because some of them, for example, uh, I was just thinking about genetic engineering, some of them might bring uh, unforeseen negative consequences that then, I mean, we could arrive at a point where it would be really difficult for us to go back and perhaps we would bring new uh, unintended problems for people. Yeah, and so when I describe these three paradigms, I think one of the things that I, I you know, realized while I was conceptualizing them is that, so the biomedical paradigm, because the technologies that are used are technologies um, that are already in use for medical purposes, 
the the dangers there, I mean, they they there, but they are not as drastic as the type of dangers or risks that come with technologies proposed uh, by the transhumanists. They they tend to have bigger type of risk and dangers, and some some of them uh, they are even kind of existential risk in that they pose a danger for all humanity. Mm-hmm. Whereas we don't see that type of risks in in the other paradigms. And so, yeah, risk takes a very important role in how, at least in the way I conceptualize these paradigms, um, to define the type of, of paradigm that one is in and, and the type of kind of human enhancement that one would like to focus on. Mm-hmm. Right. And in terms of the biomedical paradigm, uh, and again, talking about what we consider to be a healthy state or a state of disease or disorder or something like that, whatever the term people want to use. Uh, I mean, isn't it also the case that perhaps we also have to be careful uh, when distinguishing uh, distinguishing between enhancement and therapy? Because there are really states that perhaps we should try to treat in people or to deal with them effectively. But there are other things that perhaps uh, if we try to eliminate them or to improve on them, uh, I mean, it's, it's not really clear what, where we should draw the line there between what we consider th- therapeutic and uh, enhancement. Yeah, that's been one of the core topics within the kind of therapy enhancement debate, right? Like people are discussing, well, why are, what do we consider as therapy? What counts as enhancement? And and to me, I mean, what is more interesting conceptually is this, so, you know, there's not like these two spheres where we have in one sphere this everything that we conceptualize as therapy and then in the other one, it's everything we see as enhancement. There's a lot of overlap. And so... And this is more like an, a spectrum of things mm-hmm. in between what is enhancement and what is therapy. And so sometimes the discussion focuses focuses on the two extremes and we forget about well, what happened in the, all those cases in between. And those are the cases that are mentioned as being problematic or difficult. Um, so for example, the classical example is what, what are vaccinations? I mean, in, in theory, what they're doing, they are enhancing, they're boosting our immune system. So are they enhancements by definition? And some people would say yes, and some people would say, well, no, they're still therapeutic. Uh, so it's prevention by itself enhancement because you're preventing, right? You're not diseased already, so you're not curing. And so all these type of uh, areas are, are areas that are discussed as, well, if they're not therapy and they're not enhancement, how should we treat them? That's one of the problems that I see with the the distinction that the therapy enhancement is trying to to make, just because it's unsustainable in a way. I can see its practicality for systems that need to have that, you know, for insurance purposes or or to provide medical services. Uh, but I think we're getting to a stage where health and well-being are just so overlapping. Um, that is just, it's just hard. It's just hard to sustain such a, a distinction. Mm-hmm. Right. And particularly when we talk about what we consider elf or how we define elf, uh, 
there are certain areas like for example psychiatry particularly where it is very very hard for people to really say uh, perhaps uh, in uh, talking about enhancement if there are certain features of our mind or what we experience as humans that perhaps we consider a little bit more negative or that we don't like that we should really eliminate if we're trying to enhance people because I mean what would happen if we were to completely eliminate things like pain and negative emotions and things like that uh, I mean sh uh, what would be the state where we would be at after that. I mean, do, do you understand what I'm saying? So. Yeah, I mean, so, and that's, I mean, you, you clearly put an area in medicine where the definitions are so, so blur, right? Like, what does it mean to be, to have depression? And I think it's really hard because we don't have biomarkers or anything that can, in a more objective way, tell us that someone has depression and it's in a, in a way it's, it's still very subjective and that makes it really hard to deal with just as pain right I can tell well I feel a lot of pain but what does it mean to feel a lot of pain what is a lot of pain compared to you know a little pain and, and compared to the pain that I feel versus the pain that someone else feels and so some of these when people talk about yeah let's get rid of pain or let's get rid of depression and and we don't really uh, bring into that equation what does it mean to experience those those things because some some pain is actually it's you know we learn from pain we learn that certain right. things we shouldn't do um and so it, it it helps us to to grow the same with some forms of you know mild depression sometimes it really helps us to grow emotionally mm -hmm. so just to say that we're going to get rid of this i think is um do, does a, a disservice to what these type of processes help us to do that is not to say that there's some extent of, of, of pain and depression that we should try to ameliorate and, and kind of navigate so that people don't suffer from them. Uh, but it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard to draw that, the line again. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we're talking about medicine particularly, isn't it also the case that we have to consider the issue of uh, providing consent? Because, I mean, uh, it could happen that we could try to perhaps enhance people when they were already able to give consent for those types of changes that we would induce. But on the other hand, uh, people, societies, politicians or whatever could, could also decide that uh, they would uh, change or enhance all embryos or all fetuses that is at a stage of development where at most only the family members could give consent for what would be done on that person specifically. So, I mean, the, there's, a, there's also that issue, right, that we have to take into account of, that perhaps if we were to create a social paradigm where we would try to eliminate all sorts of negative things that that are related to how, how, the, how people's bodies work and how their minds work and psychological things, mental things and things like that. 
that, that we would really be changing people in ways that perhaps uh, wouldn't be the best for them or, or that would be best according to our parameters, let's say, but they wouldn't like in the end or something like that. Yeah, but I mean, those are problems that we see already in medicine, right? Mm -hmm. They don't need, there are not problems specific of enhancement. Those are problems that we see with many therapies already. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people have to do, give consent when they go through to surgery, let's say brain surgery, because they're going to remove a tumor. And you just don't know the extent, if something goes wrong in the surgery and the person ends up to be, to be different after the surgery is because you know they maybe damage certain area of the brain. Uh, then you have issues of well, what if that person now is not the same person that give consent in terms of like they have different preferences. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in in terms of more radical enhancements, uh, um, part of the discussion has been well, wh what do we do with this kind of post-human state state of being? Because when it's such a radical change. What makes us, some people would say that it's a new person. And so maybe that person wouldn't have consented to have intervention done. I mean, this kind of becomes like a circular mm -hmm. type of argument, but, but it's one of the things that people do worry about that, you know, you, you might have an idea of what, what it means to be enhanced, but mm -hmm. maybe once you get to that new being or, or that new state, you might not really appreciate to be enhanced anymore. Mm -hmm. And those are things that we just, we don't know how, how they're going to be because we haven't really experienced that type of radical change yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, are you also worried about how people might apply enhancement tech, uh, techniques or technologies to other animal species or even um, other species in general, either plants or fungi or whatever, not only because of environmental concerns, but also because when it comes to other sentient beings, like other animals that might experience emotions and consciousness and pain, and pain that we also might, might be creating some changes in them that might bring some bad experiences or even change the way they deal with life or something like that. I mean, do, do, you, do you also consider the consequences that might derive from us uh, applying enhancement in other animals and at different levels, for example? So I don't think in any of my writings, per se, I'm trying to, to remember. Uh, I Probably the one that I kind of get to similar kind of worry is one where I talk about communication. And so, for example, what would it mean to enhance animals into a degree that they can, you know, talk to us in a way. Mm -hmm. They have such a different life world that maybe that would not allow for a, a kind of efficient communication or, or communication where we can truly understand, you know, like, or have empathy. Uh, but others have for sure discussed issues about enhancing animals and even also the, the opposite, disenhancing animals. So, for example, there was a paper where um, I can't remember of the name of the author, but he discusses the issue of 
like you know in the food kind of industry um, this industry is disenhancing for example chickens so that they they don't have for example a beak so they cannot like you know chip at each other and they don't have a I don't know claws or, or things like that. So the, the the end result is kind of this blob of meat that kind of walks and can breathe, and and so that that level of disenhancement with the purpose of to avoid pain. Um, well, I do see that as a pro, as a problem in a way, uh, but yeah, I haven't really focused on those type of arguments in my own work. But I know that there's people that that have. And I guess in my work, the, the, the other thing that I talk a little bit is, um, for example, if you enhance like great apes, because they're so close to humans uh, in, from an evolutionary perspective, well, what does it mean to, to do that? To, do they, do they, if we do that, will we grant them then kind of moral status in a way that we take more seriously? Because, I mean, they already, uh, and I think many would argue that, you know, they are, uh, they should have the same level of protections that some humans do because they have, you know, same levels of capacities and functions. Um, and yet we still fail to protect them to the level that we protect humans. So maybe by enhancing them, we will, we have to then confront to the, to the challenge that they are kind of maybe not our equals in terms of, uh, or maybe our equals in terms of, of moral status. And, and so that would, require a, a very radical shift in our paradigm of how we see these enhanced uh, animals. Mm -hmm. So that, that's very interesting because uh, earlier in the interview we were talking about things like what it means to be a human or a post-human or a transhuman, and that might also have some implications as to how we think and deal with people at a moral and a legal level. I mean, if we were to change people drastically, uh, I mean, would we deal with with those new beings the same way, right? So we we also have to take that those sorts of considerations into account. Right? Yeah, correct. So yeah, we still, I guess, we haven't seen any enhanced. Uh, non-human entity to that level, but uh, right. but I mean, but the other thing is also so we're talking about kind of living biological beings, right? But the mm -hmm. the other point is what happens with our creations, like you know, new robots with really high um, artificial intelligence. They might also have certain features of personhood that will make us reconsider. Okay, what? Again, what does it mean human if for us being human means, you know, have memory, have uh, language, has like, you know, like theory of mind. So what are we going to do when we create these entities that are non-biological that have those features? Mm -hmm. So those, that's also going to pose interesting questions in terms of, you know, what are the, the legal implications and, and yeah, the ethical and societal implications of that. Mm -hmm. and, and so if we define as human someone who has those sorts of capacities, like, for example, language, culture, theory of mind, uh, and other mental mechanisms, uh, if we are to create some sort of artificial being 
that because of the way his brain or his or her or its brain is arranged then uh, it would experience the same sort of uh, things like for example consciousness and emotions and things like that then perhaps we would also need to consider uh, how we would deal with with that that creation that being yeah and people have tried to come up with frameworks but uh, there's uh, again no universal answer of how we're gonna handle this creation Right. So uh, let's now talk a little bit about the other paradigm that we haven't yet talked about, that is the social enhancement paradigm. Uh, it, it seems to me that this is very interesting because as far as I understand it, it is not really about uh, changing uh, human beings or enhancing them in terms of their intrinsic intrinsic features or properties but rather trying to improve our environment uh, in the in the that is having environmental interventions to improve people's lives is that correct yeah so that's kind of the the main difference that i put forward when i uh conceptualize these three paradigms. And that's because the, the first two, so the, the biomedical and the transhumanist, are all focused on changing the human, you know, in a sense, um, or intervening on the human. Whereas, I mean, there's certainly evidence that if we improve our environments, we are by, def not by definition, but we can also improve our well-being and even in some cases to improve our capacities and, and functions so so yeah the the main the kind of a key a feature of the social paradigm is like let's not focus on enhancing the human on changing the biological aspect of the human let's focus on changing the environment where we live and you know and be improved by those changes mm -hmm. And what are the sorts of things that you were thinking about improving? Were it things that occur perhaps at the social level, at the political level, at the economical level? What exactly? So I guess when I was uh, working on, on, on this one, it was a very early stages. And I, I really hope there is someone out there that, you know, has... Uh, the time and the interest to to develop this in more like flesh it more in terms of like the different levels because I think when I suggested it I, I was really thinking in, in a very broad kind of scale so I was thinking yeah there are things that we can do at the political level there are things that we can do at the city level there are things we can do at the community level um, and so I, I really have a large kind of uh, vision of the type of things that social could could mean and so, for example, some, some of the things that are already here, I think, is, for example, a lot of our current technologies that are like our smartphones, they allow us to save, you know, tons of contact information from people that otherwise we wouldn't be able to remember their phone numbers or where they live. Right. And, and so they really help us to expand our memory capacities in ways that, you know, didn't really require surgery or, or taking any smart pills or anything. So those type of 
of things is the, the the type of things that I envision that we can do with our technology without mm-hmm. having to merge with our technology in the way that transhumanists or others uh, have argued. Uh, okay, so my question was, what do you think are the aspects of human society or human life that would be the most worthy of trying to improve through environmental measures? I mean, that's a, that's a good question in terms of it requires a lot of thinking. And that's what I, I was saying earlier. You know, I wish there was uh, some more people out there. And actually, one of the reasons why I, I had someone contacted me uh, who read the book and, and she was really interested in this idea of social enhancement and we started like this little group and what I like about this group discussion was that we could brainstorm ideas of what would it mean to be social enhanced and I like that because I feel like a lot of academics and, and people make these suggestions and they propose things from just what they think is right and I it made me realize that for something to be social enhancement should be something that is proposed at the social level, you know, that a community comes up with what social enhancement should be. Um, so now I feel a little bit more, um, I, I prefer to be cautious in the type of social enhancement that I envision because I think now I come to the realization that it should be something that is done at the level of communities and societies that come together and really talk about what we would like technology to do at the social level. For us to be enhanced and those could be things as simple as you know improving i don't know like democratic systems or it could be about maybe things that would improve their environments and like their more cleaner environments or that they could be worn if there's like chemical exposures um, so, so there's a range of things that i could you know put as examples but i think that the the things that really matter are things that are going to be proposed at the level of groups, um, and that's kind of the next level that I see for social enhancement. Mm-hmm. But uh, here, when you talk about social uh, social enhancement, uh, you're trying to focus mostly on technological means of social enhancement, or or others as well. So I mean, but again, here I guess technology. It, I'm using the term in a very broad definition. So technology, sometimes people define it also as, you know, systems of governance can be technologies. So from that broad perspective, yes, I envision technology uh, as, as, as a tool. Um, but it, I'm not just thinking about, you know, machines or instruments. I, I'm thinking, yeah, it could be legal instruments, it could be political instruments, and, and so I'm really trying to propose technology in, in a broader sense than in the way that most transhumanists or biomedical people would talk when they talk about enhancement. Mm-hmm. Okay, very well. So, Dr. Cabrera, perhaps uh, I've, I think I've already gone through the main questions that I had, and you know that, and I know that you are very busy there. So perhaps <laughs> le, le, let's uh, finish the interview now. Before we go, would you like to tell people what would be some of the best places on the internet for them to find your work? Um, sure. So I guess. Um in my uh, website from the university that they can find, you know, my more current publications and and there's uh, my current projects, which so far I, I haven't 
focus too much on, on enhancement uh, recently. They can, you know, see other projects that I'm doing. Um, one paper I published recently, for example, on um, differences between how Hispanics see enhancement, and so not only from um, um, the language use that is different, but, but also how maybe some um, ethical worries are different. So, so I guess I can find there, like as I said, my uh, my latest publications and things. I I do not have a you know like a, my unique web page. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't really had time to create that, but it's in it's in, in the comings <laughs> hopefully by next year. Um, but yeah, I think they're and they can always you know if they're interested to know more about my work, I'm happy to be contacted by by email, and I can then. Uh, tell people more about the type of, you know, publications or projects that, that I'm currently doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. So I uh, will be leaving links to all of that in the description box of the interview, Dr. Cabrera. And uh, again, thank you a lot for taking the time to come on the show. And it was really a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. And again, I, it's part of being a, a mother. <laughs> but, <laughs> but thank you. And uh, hopefully this was also... Um, you know, good, good for the for the audience. So, and thank you for the invitation once more. Hi everybody! Thank you for coming to my channel and for watching this interview until the end. As you might have noticed, I've been putting out regular interviews with academics and intellectuals from a variety of fields. And to keep the channel sustainable, I would really like to ask you to please visit my Patreon page and to consider making a pledge there. If you don't like Patreon, you also have the alternative of supporting me via PayPal or even Subscribestar. Otherwise, and if you like what I'm doing, please share it, leave a like and hit the subscription button. I would also like to give a huge thank you to my patrons and people who support me via PayPal, Karen Litzke, Anne Blanchett, Perelga Larsen, Lau Guerrero, Chantel Gelinas, Francis Ford, Hans Frederick Sunda, Brian Rivera, Lucas Tafiniak, Sergio Condriano, Yane Henninen, Herbert Quintis and my three producers, Isar Weber, Rosie and Jim Frank. Thank you for all.